the Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams, and we are back, baby. Welcome to the new year. We are reloaded and ready to fire off the best sports news you've been looking for and yearning to hear about. So let's jump right in. As of this glorious Monday morning, SEC referees aren't sure they know what a catch is anymore. Ron Rivera doesn't like his players working on the eight ball in the corner pocket. And James Harden thinks headbands look cool. Hint, unless you're Joe Ingles, they don't. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, wild card weekend. Oh, it was wild. Russell Wilson showed yet again why he is the MVP. Referees have a hard time understanding pass interference whenever the Saints play, and at least the Bills don't need to blame Scott Norwood for their latest playoff loss. Those were all the highlights of the weekend. However, the low light came on a snowy Saturday night in Foxborough as the New England Patriots dynasty more than likely has come to an end. The game was a grind. Let's just call it what it is. No groundbreaking plays, no highlight reel catches. One team dominated on the ground while the other, meh, had a hard time getting first downs. The culminating play came in the final seconds as Tom Brady threw a pick six from his own end zone into the Tennessee defense, sealing the victory for the Titans. While the Twitterverse normally doesn't care about the life of a middle-aged man on a Saturday night, opinions were tossed left and right as to whether this would be the final image we would witness for Tom the Goat Brady. Whether or not it is the last touchdown Brady ironically throws in his career, that is yet to be determined. However, there is a painstakingly obvious dose of reality about to be injected into the already deflated footballs of the New England Patriots sideline, and that is this. The dynasty is done. It is over. The good night train is on its last stop, and the fat lady has already walked off the stage. All things must come to an end. Whether they are good or not, coming to a close is the inevitable fate of anything and everything that exists in this life. We've all seen things that we feel were cut too short and we were robbed of their greatness, like Bo Jackson or the show Freaks and Geeks. In contrast, there are others that lasted way too long and became an eyesore, like Patrick Ewing in a Seattle Supersonics jersey and the TV franchise 24. We get it, Jack Bauer. You're saving the world at an incredible rate, but when do you ever stop to go to the bathroom? Just tell me that. Regardless of when the time comes, the truth is, time always does come. And for the New England Patriots, that bell started ringing Saturday night in Foxborough at the hands of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. As near perfect as Tom Brady's career has been, this season will more than likely sit at the bottom of his resume right next to losing a game to Mark Buttfumbler Sanchez. Brady had a QB rating of 88.0, which, from a layman's perspective, must not be that bad as you think to yourself, hey, 88 out of 100 is pretty good, to which I say, that's not how QB ratings work. The more telling stat, however, is that Brady played to be about the 23rd best quarterback in the league, sandwiched right between Gardner Mustache Minshew and the artist formerly known as second baseman Kyler Murray. While number 12 is hands down the goat of the NFL, not being able to throw better than Phillip Rivers and his eight kids has to raise some eyebrows. And that is the reality Tom Brady is staring at this very moment. His time on the turf is not in its waning moments. It's being ushered out by a string of mobile quarterbacks and millennials. Everything comes to an end. As much as we all fall in love with teams, TV series, and icons, the story comes to a conclusion and the rest of the world moves on to Cincinnati. Second, on New Year's Day, the NBA world lost a legend in the front office as David Stern died from complications with a brain hemorrhage he suffered a few weeks earlier. No commissioner in the modern era did more for the sport of basketball than did Stern. 
with one of his primary achievements being the globalization of the NBA game, bringing countries and all-star players together on the biggest stage anyone can imagine. Said Miami Heat president Pat Riley, David Stern is the number one force, the number one reason why this league is where it is today. That's not disrespectful to any one great player in any one era or any owner. This has to do with the leadership of one man. David was the ironic, stern father we all had growing up. The man who would put his foot down when all of his kids crying wanted to take the car out Saturday night and go cruise the Vard. Stern was no nonsense, had a respectful relationship with both the players and the owners. When anyone went into a meeting with Stern, they knew it was all business. It was all professional. He was the anti-mullet of commissioner hairstyles. No party in the back whatsoever. Stern is essentially the antithesis of who is leading the NBA in this current generation, Adam Silver. Silver is the personification of a Gen Xer who has a hard time understanding the concept of hard work and diligent service, where Stern is the commissioner putting his nose to the grind and getting the job done. Silver is the opposite, the flimsy balloon of a man who is 100% supportive of load management and dynasties teaming up, even though he says he doesn't. If you look at their careers, the men are complete opposites. Stern's highlight reel is filled with the expansion of franchises across the country and holding the first NBA games outside the United States. His creme de la creme moment came with the allowing NBA players to participate in the Olympics, thus creating the greatest team ever assembled in any sport, period, the 1992 Dream Team. Stern certainly deserves his place in the Naismith Hall of Fame. In contrast, Silver's greatest moment is... Banning former Clippers owner Donald Sterling from the game for life, essentially becoming an internet meme about bad public speaking? Or is it his immature handling of the tweet sent around the world by Daryl Morey? And the amount of egg he has to wipe off his face for multiple PR mishaps? Or could it be how he really doesn't like free agency sweepstakes that is decimating small market teams, but he doesn't have the gall or the gumption to really fix the problem? And that's the stark difference between Stern and Silver. One is the quintessential nose-to-the-grind, blue-collar grandfather we all admired when he came in and told us stories about his days in the Air Force, while the other is a bald Muppet look-alike who whines about how minimum wage just isn't high enough and how nobody is liking the selfie he took with his bae. Stern is a man's man. He is the reason the NBA is so successful today, and he will be remembered as such for years to come, unlike his successor who has a hard time getting followers on Twitter. Finally, the reign of mediocrity has come to a close in Dallas as the Cowboys pulled a Cleveland Browns move and decided to part ways with head coach Jason Garrett. For the record, that could actually be a thing as common as it happens in Cleveland. People could literally rename getting fired as having their boss pull a Cleveland Browns move on them. That's how often it happens. Since being brought back from the dead in 1999, the Browns have had 11 different top dogs at the helm. So yes, that phrase can actually be a thing. Mediocre is certainly the best way to describe Garrett's tenure in Dallas, as that's how the highlights will look on the mixtape he'll send to the New York Giants next week, who also are in need of a head coach. Garrett was a yes man, was the Smithers to Jerry Jones' Mr. Burns' ego complex, and had a bombarding assortment of uber-talented players slip through his fingers while at the helm. Undoubtedly, this can be viewed as a mutual breakup for both parties, as Garrett could find success without having a microscope pointed at his forehead, and Jerry Jones can't go back to finding another minion he can manipulate in a torture room under the AT&T Stadium. The Cowboys' job certainly is an enticing one, as numerous claims are made that it is one of the best jobs in all of sports, right up there next to being John Daly's caddy and being the warm-up catcher in the bullpen for the New York Yankees. The Cowboys are America's team. They are the 1% of the sports world. They are the top of the line, an answer to no one but themselves. Heck, they're one of the only organizations in the world where their own fans are scared of their brands. 
But with all that being said, what coach would want to take his talents to the Texas foothills when their boss would be a man who likes having his hands in everything? The man who signs their paychecks is also the one who decides who is going to suit up for them. He's one of the only owner-slash-general managers in all of sports and has an ego the size of Oprah Winfrey's clients on Weight Watchers. And you think this guy is going to let anyone have free reign over his franchise? Think again. Urban Meyer? Good luck getting him to bend the knee. Lincoln Riley? Yeah, right. Come at me, brah. The head coach of the Dallas Cowboys is the best job in all of sports, and nobody is jumping at the seams to get it because of the man who was on the other side of the interview. We now shift to what matters this week, which for this week concerns one of the greatest pastimes we all relish over the holiday season. And while I would like to say I'm referring to binge-watching a Christmas story on TNT for 24 hours straight, or making fun of my wife's grandmother for delusionally thinking that the sun rises in the West, what I'm referring to here is that of bowl games in college football and the ridiculous assortment of postseason matchups that litter the airwaves over the holiday break. Let's just call it what it is. Outside of the New Year's Six, bowl games are meaningless. Bowl games are nothing. Bowl games are the participation trophies handed out to 500-level teams for coming in fourth place in the Pac-12 conference. What would motivate Utah State and the 500 fans that can afford to drive 1,300 miles across the country to play the fourth place team from the Mid-American Conference? A crystal bowl with the words DXL cheaply scribbled on the side to replace the last sponsor that bailed? Why does a meaningless moment in eastern Texas have to be the culminating event of team season? Bowls used to be big. Bowls used to mean something to the crowds that tuned in. The Cotton Bowl, the Sun Bowl, they nearly have the same relevance as the Orange and Fiesta Bowl that have been brought to the college football playoff picture. But now, bowls are just consolation prizes for slightly above average seasons. They are the brown ribbons you get pinned to your sweater after taking ninth place in your fifth grade spelling bee. And yes, that may have been the color of the ribbon Mrs. Lamb pinned to my shirt back in 1995, but that's neither here nor there. The point is that bowls do not matter anymore. In the words of Jigsaw, let's play a little game. I'm going to give you a list of bowl games, and I want you to tell me whether they're real or fake. Nothing complicated about this. I'll just read off a list of bowls, and you sit back and listen and decide for yourself if this once served as a location for a contest between Big Ten and Big 12 teams, or if it's a giant figment of my imagination. Here we go. The Michelob Gold Bowl. The Dove Garden Sugarland Bowl. The Little Caesars Chicago Bowl. The Diamond Almonds Bay City Bowl. The Sugarland California Raisins Bowl. The JimmyJohns.com Bowl. The Campbell's Chicken Soup Bowl. The Gaylord Hotel's Music City Bowl presented by Bridgestone. How many did you get right? One, two, three? Here's a hint. None of them were real. They were all bowl games I made up by looking at random items in my house. Kidding. The last one, the Gaylord Hotel's Music City Bowl presented by Bridgestone... That was real, but you can't tell because it sounds as ludicrous as the rest of the items I named. I'm literally watching Guardians of the Galaxy on TNT and use the first seven ads as potential bowl games. But the reality is, no one notices a difference, and no one really cares anyway. Did any of you watch the bowl games this year? If your team was playing, yes, you might have. But how many people actually tuned in to watch Wyoming versus Georgia State in the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl in Tucson? Georgia State practically had players faking ACL tears so they wouldn't have to get on a 39-hour bus ride across the country. And do you know how many fans were at the game? There could have been six or 60,000 no one knows or no one cares. That's how irrelevant that game was. 
Bowls are pointless and serve no purpose aside from advertising purposes and tax write-offs for big companies. Which brings us to this. Back in the 1990s, there was a popular show originally surfacing on BBC that took audience suggestions and had stage geniuses try and make improv comedy gold out of them. The show was called Whose Line Is It Anyway? And it was glorious, vaulting the careers of quite a few B-list celebrities, including the winner of The Masked Singer Season 2, Wayne Brady. Come on, Ken Jeong, we all knew that wasn't Jamie Foxx. Don't be that obvious. In the late 90s, Drew Carey became the host and often repeated the tagline of the show to be his trademark sign-off. Welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway? The game where everything is made up and the points don't matter. Catchy, descriptive, and right to the point about how the 30 minutes of comedy would play out. The reality is, Drew Carey could quit his day job as the host of The Price is Right and regurgitate that phrase every December for the rest of his career as bowl season kicks off. The bowl games are essentially made up on the spot every single season, and no one cares one bit about how many points are scored in the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. The NCAA needs to wake up and realize that we're not a bunch of idiots waiting on the edge of our seats to watch the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Kids don't need consolation prizes sponsored by corporations looking for ad pitches. We want raw competition the way it originally intended to be. Don't patronize college football. Be authentic, be legitimate, and make the final game of the season actually mean something. Thanks for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week. Unlike John Dorsey. Come on, Cleveland. Don't act surprised.